Well, I had prepared a children's message, anticipating thinking my children and the Ritters, and, and uh, I'm wondering if Ellie would still be willing to come be part of the children's message. But she's, instead, she's going to help me give this illustration for all of you. Because it's, it's, it's good for all of us here. So, I'm sure you are familiar with what these are. Do you want, you want to pick one? What are these? Glow sticks. How do they work? Okay. They snap and then, so why does snapping them work? What happens? Ooh. Makes it glow, okay. That is the end result. Do you know why they start to glow after you snap them? Oh, okay. Well then, I'm glad I picked this one. So what are you snapping inside? Do you know what's inside the plastic tube that you're snapping? There's a glass, yeah, there's a glass thing inside. So there's two chemicals in here. There's a glass, there's a chemical in the glass and then there's a chemical outside that glass in the plastic. And when you break the glass, the two mix together. And then what happens when the two mix together? They glow, that's right, yeah. So there's a lot we can, we can illustrate from a glow stick for our message today. It's saying you are the light of the world. And one thing is, is that, hey, this, this glow is all by itself, right? Pretty cool. It glows all by itself. It's, it's what it is. It's what it does. It glows, right? And so that's, and that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, when you're his follower, that, that's what you are. It's, you know, you, you, you glow. He get, but there's also a warning in here, a kind of a caution. Will this glow forever? No. How long do you think it will last? Yeah, yeah, about a day at best. These are the Dollar Tree ones. I don't know if they'll go that long even. So, um, so they don't last forever. And that's kind of a warning to us because when we try to glow all on our own without God, then we are kind of, we're kind of doing it like the glow stick. We kind of, we kind of work ourselves up. We, we shake ourselves up. Oh, I got to glow. I got to get my light out, you know. And, but we just don't, if, we, if it's all on you and your work and your effort and, and shaking yourself up to go, then it's going to run out because you don't, you don't last forever. You don't have everything forever. But a light bulb and a, and a light, you know, that as long as it's connected to the source, it will glow. I mean, yes, eventually the light bulb itself will burn out. But the, the difference being here, the point being here, that if who's your source of your light? If it's yourself, you're going to work yourself up maybe break yourself up, and eventually you're going to burn out. But if God's your source, if he's what's making you glow, then you have that light forever. So, make sense? Yeah. All right. Do you like it? Yeah. Okay. You can keep it. It has a snap. You can wear it as a bracelet. So, but You want both of them? Sure. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ellie, for helping me do the children's message for all of us. So, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, your word to us um, and pray that it would give us understanding of what it means to be your followers and what, it, the, what you do in our life and in this world through your word and your spirit and through us. And pray this, we would all take this to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing a series in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we covered the Beatitudes. This week we are covering verses 13 through 16, salt and light. And so I'm going to read it here, verses 13 through 16. 
You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And uh, so I have a salt illustration here from my own experience there. In college, I was on a mission trip and our group was, uh, we were being served a snack and there was a plate and there was apple slices on it and there was a big pile of sugar on there. And I said, great, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that apple I'm gonna, and I wiped up a big scoop on that apple and put the whole thing in my mouth and it was not sugar. <laughs> it was salt. <laughs> And I don't remember exactly what I did. I, I, I know I didn't want to spit it out because like, that's rude and gross and stuff. I'm like, what, what do I do? You know, on, on appearance, at a quick glance, appearance, sugar and salt look a lot alike, but they have very different qualities. They're not the same thing. And that has, that's why Jesus brings up salt here because He's talk, when he calls believers salt, he's talking about your qualities, the qualities of his believers, of his followers, and their effect in the world. So in this, these verses, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, whom he, he just described what they're like in the Beatitudes, and now he tells them, you are the salt of the earth. And so, speaking to you, Believers in Christ, you are the salt of the earth. This is also a plural you, so it's you all. All, all y'all are the salt of the earth together. Well, the question for us is how can this be? Uh, how can I be the salt of the earth? You should insert your name there. You know, when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, put your name in that front, <laughs> is the salt of the earth. And the question is, okay, how can this be. Well, as we learned last week, looking at the Beatitudes, the, the dynamic here is we are blessed by God's grace. It's his grace, his involvement that makes the difference. We're not worthy of it, but by the grace in Jesus, believers are given the kingdom and become the people of God. And so that by that same grace, power of God working in your life, you are the salt of the earth. And now salt is a it's an important illustration. It's our first illustration and it and its salt was valued is valued for its qualities. Just for what it is. It has qualities that you put it its presence will affect what's around it. And so salt is good. It preserves against decay. It cleanses um, it's tasty too, we like it for its taste today, we don't rely on it for preservation as much, but in Jesus' day, there were no refrigerators, there were no chemical preservatives, <laughs> probably better for them. <laughs> but So they relied heavily on salt as their preservative against decay. 
So, and Jesus is talking about the qualities of his followers, the beatitude qualities. And he's saying, you have qualities in you now that purify your character, that preserve against moral decay, not just in you, but in the world and the community around you. Well, how can this be true? <laughs> Especially as we covered last week, we, we come to Jesus empty-handed and poor in spirit and mourning over sin. So, so we already come to Jesus corrupted. So how can, we be, how can it be true that we have these qualities? Well, 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So in this verse, sins are dead works, dead like rotting meat. And it says, Jesus' blood purifies your conscience from sin. He died on the cross to take away your sin. And if you turn to him in faith, then he will forgive your sins and cleanse you from sin and give you a new heart. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. So Jesus, who is pure, life-giving, his presence will be in you. So you are the salt of the earth because Jesus declares it is so by his word. It's true because of the power of his word. And it's also true he makes it so because his purifying and his preserving presence is in believers. So if he declares you clean, then you are the salt of the earth. And so he says, hey, you, you are more than just the salt shaker, just you know, shaking out, shaking out the salt. He says, no, you are the salt because his righteousness is now part of you. And so the effect then of this is your presence has a preservative effect in the world around you, in the community and the people around you. And we said you know, salt preserves meat from rotting. So if Jesus' followers are the salt of the earth, and that means the earth, meaning the, the world system of man against and apart from God, that is like rotting meat. But the decay here, the rot, is, is referring to moral decay. And we look at the world around us, we don't have to be convinced of its corruption and its continuing decay. We look at, at public figures and leaders and we see that, oh boy, the standards of conduct are just lower and lower and increasingly worse things are permitted. And we see more deceptions out in the world. We see hunger for power, abuse for power, confusion of the truth, evil being called good and good being called evil and just overall increase in selfishness. So the, the world is without God is, is decaying like that rotting meat. And Jesus says, you are salt. His followers are salt. That means the presence of Jesus' followers is like salt 
preserving the world from getting worse even faster than it already is. And one commentary I read on this, it said, we, we don't need more cultural crusades, but more Christians who are wholly shaped by Christ in every way. Not to say we, we don't uh, stand up and voice the truth and call out evil and promote good. We absolutely do. But there, the, he's saying that the special call is for you to be authentic and genuine and be salt. So in my words, disciples who are spiritually alive, the qualities of Christ have become part of you because his spirit is in you and at work in you. And there's a parallel passage to Matthew found in Mark chapter 9, verse 50, that says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Have salt in yourselves. So if you are salt, be like salt. Have the qualities of salt. And this is why we need the internal transformation that Jesus gives in salvation. Because he will change your heart and he will plant these qualities in you so that they are yours and that they are growing in you. So we come to Jesus like the Beatitudes last week. We come to Jesus with humility, repentance, and meekness. And he will give you a hunger for righteousness and a pure heart that devoted to God alone above all things. And you will start to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And you'll live by the guidance of his Holy Spirit. The, the fruits of the Spirit will be more evident in your life. You'll see them growing in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And this new you in Christ will have an effect. It will influence the world around you. So like salt, you will preserve what is healthy against decay. But this, this does, I mean, your presence then and your actions, you will be salt on the earth. You will call out what is evil. You will love what is righteous. You will love God. You'll be a life-giving presence of God's peace and his mercy. And all vocations, all professions, all institutions need the, this presence of God's people. So this isn't just pastors are the salt of the earth <laughs> only on Sunday morning when I preach God's word. You know? No, he said all God's people, all who follow Christ, whatever vocation, wherever you go in society. You are salt for Christ because of what he's done in you. But Jesus also has a warning for his followers, for you. He says, if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. Kind of like that glow stick when it finally runs out of glow. It's not good for anything. You throw it away. It's, and there's like, these verses have the contempt in them. Like, it, it's thrown away and trampled on. And 
we see that that is how the world treats hypocritical Christians with contempt. And so this is a hard word um, or another. Jesus is using salt here, and salt sometimes stinks. So losing your flavor, that, man, that means the salt has lost the qualities that made it salt. Now, which, you know, talking to a chemist, this would be, you know, this is impossible for pure salt to actually lose its qualities. But Jesus often used impossible things to make a point in his illustration. And his point here is he's warning you against hypocrisy. Because what something is, is revealed by its qualities. You know, we talked earlier, sugar and salt, they, they might look very similar on appearances, but as soon as you taste it, you know what it is. And so those saved by Jesus will become like Jesus. He will be present in you, and that will change you, and you will become like him. Now, not 100% overnight, you know, He's not saying you will be sinless ever again, but progressively growing more and more like him. And so this verse is a cause for self-evaluation because you are not salt all by yourself. It's as you are in Jesus. And without Jesus, you cannot be like him. And so if you will not have him and you won't be like him, then you are not salt and you're not part of his kingdom. And so that's, that's his hard word here. And, and much of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount here is each segment, these sections that we'll see in the next coming weeks are specific applications of this. It, it's calling out hypocrisy and calling towards genuine holiness in quality and in action. But... There's this warning, but for the believer who is, who is fearful that you have fallen short and, and mournful knowing, oh, I have fallen short of this, there is grace. There's always the grace of Jesus because on the days when you feel like, boy, that the spiritual decay of the world around me, it, it's influencing me more than I am influencing the world. Jesus invites you to come to him. It's because you, you may... You are corruptible, but Jesus is incorruptible. He's the true salt. He is, the, he is purifying and cleansing and life-giving, and he will cleanse and forgive and renew you. So we come to him by, to be renewed by his presence, and then his presence in you is salt in the world. So if salt emphasizes what? We are to be the authentic qualities. Light emphasizes what we do, the example that we are to the world. Your example is always teaching something. Take, take that in. Your example is always teaching something. So what, what kind of a light are you to the world around you? And light, it symbolizes, stands for many things. Light symbolizes truth because light reveals what is real. Light symbolizes life because nearly all things need life to live. And light symbolizes goodness because good deeds, they're done in the open. And good deeds done from a good heart are a 
a person's glory. They're what shine out of your life. And now the idea of, of the, the phrase of letting your light shine, that, that is thrown around a lot. Um, you hear it in songs, you hear it in, in catchphrases, and you may, have, you may have heard it said, you know, believe in yourself and let your inner light glow. Uh, to shine your brightest light is to be who you truly are. And these statements can be accurate when we have a common understanding of what's good. And when we say shine, we mean, mean shine what is good. But these sayings get misused and abused and distorted when, when good is never defined and nothing's ever actually wrong. And shining just means whatever makes you happy. And because there's a difference between being a light and shining your light. Emphasis on you. That's a very inward shining. Because Jesus warned us that there is darkness inside us. Just another chapter later, Matthew 6, 22 through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So there are, if there's something in you that, if, there, if you're taking darkness in you and you are spreading that, you're not shining light, you're spreading darkness. Sometimes we treasure things that are not good. And so your, your enthusiasm is only as good as the object of your affection, what you're enthusiastic about. I mean, we take a really, you know, the, the, the really far wild example of a sadist, you know, the, the person who gets pleasure out of other people's pain. We would never tell them, hey, just, just do what makes you happy. Just shine your light. I mean, obviously, that's a ridiculous example, but it, it makes the point. Something else to consider is whose light are you following? Because we, meaning the example, there's, where there's always other people who are role models for us. We, we follow their example, their, their enthusiasm, their light. But Jesus warned, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So not everything that glows is truth and life. And I'm reminded of those, those deep sea angler fish at the deepest parts of the ocean and they have that antenna on the front of their head with the knob on the end that glows. And in the utter deep, deep darkness of the deep ocean there, that glow, I mean, it just attracts all the other fish to come to it. But that glow is there so that the little fish will come close enough so that the angler fish can bite it and eat it. And there's a lot of people today who are, who are following false lights, hook, line, and sinker. Jesus says his followers are the light of the world. And just like salt, this is true because Jesus says it is and his word makes it happen. He is the light of the world and he shines into the hearts of people by his word and by his spirit, and he transforms them into believers. And his followers are filled with his light, and we shine his light to the world. 
2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so taking this to that, that, that lamp in the house metaphor, you know, no one lights a lamp and hides it. They put it on a lampstand. But who's lighting the lamp? Jesus is the one who is lighting the lamp, and you are the lamp. And he's lit you, not so you can be hidden, but so that you can be on a lampstand and give light to your, to your circle, to those around you. So but believers have God's light in them because he's shown in you. And that's how you are the light of the world. And the light is meant to shine. It's not meant to be hidden. It's meant to be seen. So you are meant to show the truth and to proclaim it and to proclaim and to be a light by your example of how Christ has changed you. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3.15, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So the church is a pillar of the truth. It is a strong foundation holding up the truth. It's a billboard proclaiming the truth. So like a city on a hill or like a lamp on a stand, you are to shine the light of Jesus before others. And your, so your faith in Christ, it is not a private thing. You're to be out in the world, mixed among them, but not living like them. Instead, living according to the truth in Jesus Christ. And so in your good deeds, this light you're shining, it's not for your own praise or attention to yourself. It's to give praise and glory to God. And, this, and Jesus focuses on that. He says, let your good deeds shine before men. And so by good deeds here, he, he does mean acts of mercy and kindness and charity. We must include those. But it also must include repentance and true worship of God and praising God and growing in spiritual maturity and holiness. It must include these as well. So we shine God's light when we point others to him and when we demonstrate how he has changed us. And Paul summarizes how God's grace works in us to accomplish this. Philippians 2, 13 through 16. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We live in a twisted and crooked generation, and there are many wicked forces that are attempting to corrupt you or to pressure you to keep your faith to yourself. But the ways of the world around us are destroying people's lives, wrecking them in body, mind, and spirit. They need the light that shows the way that leads to life. They need Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus calls you to be his authentic followers, to be like him, 
and to be the light of the world by letting his light shine through you. And by his power, you are salt and light in the world. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for coming to us with your light and your grace and your blessing so that we might be changed and transformed. To me. We may, be, may we be true to what you've done in us, to the change you've made in us, to the light and the life you've given us and shown us. And may we have a heart for the world around us that, is, that needs your light, that needs truth, uh, that needs to be woken up and shown the way to you. Pray that you use us and make us genuine and um, lead us to always trust in you as, as our light, that you are what make us salt. You are what make us light. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.